Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, we've been in a series about the most interesting man in the world, Abram. And uh, you might know him as Father Abraham. Uh, 60% of the world's population religiously traces, and, and not just religiously, but also literally traces their ancestry back to Father Abraham. And uh, Abraham is an interesting character. He's one that gives me great hope because he's such a mess up. He's a guy who just doesn't always get it right. And boy, I'm in good company when I see a guy like that. How about you? And I'm so glad that uh, God sees some of the mess ups and the mistakes that Abraham makes and decides, print it. That's good Bible. Um, So there's things that are in Abram's story that we would work really hard to hide if it was us. Now, this story that we're going to look at today is not one of them. This is one of his better moments, although he is a doubter here. And so some of you will see, oh, that's horrible and that's terrible. Others of you like me go, oh, thank God other people doubt. (laughs) Next week, we're all going to kind of go, ooh, as we read that story. Uh, So uh, get ready for that. But uh, this Sunday, not so much. Abram... um, has obeyed God mostly. He's left the land that he was in, the Ur of the Chaldees. God chose him and God spoke to him. And the reason God chose and spoke to him is because Abraham is such a righteous, awesome dude. And some of you are laughing because you know that's not true. And if you weren't laughing, um, let me explain. Abram came from a land... Ur of the Chaldees. We think of Father Abraham as being the first Hebrew he was. But what was he before he was a Hebrew? He was a pagan worshiping, idol worshiping pagan from the hill country of Babylon. Modern day Iraq. And he wandered uh, to the land that God would show him. And God came to him in Genesis chapter 12. And he said, go to the land that I will show you. Leave your family and go. And he mostly obeyed. Now, if you grew up in church and you grew up in Sunday school, you are wondering, mostly obeyed? Is that possible? You know, moms, can kids mostly obey? And Abraham mostly obeyed. He left, but he took Lot. He took his nephew, Lottie, his buddy. He he took Lot and he mostly obeyed. Lot should have stayed back, and we, will, we have seen that Lot became kind of a thorn in his side. Lot became kind of a, a, a problem, and we're going to see more how Lot becomes a problem. He mostly obeyed. Today, we're going to see how Abram mostly believed. Mostly. You ever have those times in your life where you doubt God's existence or God's goodness or God's provision. This is a safe place. I mean, I know it's church, but it should be a safe place, right? Have you ever had those times where you are in your bed late at night? Something horrible, some message, some some information, some situation, some event has occurred. Uh, For some that I've read about the, the tsunamis 
that killed 250,000 people was a, a moment in their life when they doubted. They doubted in God who is good. For some people, it might have been 9-11, where they doubted that there was a God who was good and who cared. For some, it's when they hear the word cancer. For some, it's, it's when they see somebody they love or, or a friend that goes through suffering great things and they think, oh, if God was good, if God was all-powerful, wouldn't he? Sometimes we doubt on far smaller things. Like at the end of the month, when that check doesn't quite reach the date, no matter what you do. And then the pastor has the nerve to get up and say, give money, <laughs> right? Like, dude, I <laughs> thank God for visa <sighs> gets me through. Right. And we doubt, does God really care? Does God even see, is he even paying attention? seems to work for the preachers of LA, but not for me. And we wrestle with, God's provision sometimes. Sometimes we wrestle with God's provision in our relationships, in our families. This is who you had pegged out for me to marry? Don't you know what I needed, God? What I was looking for? Uh, who are these people that showed up? Why don't they have jobs? Why are they here? Children, I'm referring to kids. Now, now that money doesn't make, I mean, it used to get to about the 25th. Now we're getting to the 15th for, you know, and there's times in our lives that we just doubt and we struggle and we wrestle. And I've got to be really honest. I am at the top of that list. I wrestle with doubt. There are things that I think God has spoken into my life and they don't happen. <laughs> Do you ever have that happen? And you're like. Maybe it was the pizza. Maybe it was the pizza. Maybe it wasn't God. Maybe it was, maybe it was just wishful thinking. Maybe it was my brain or my heart because the human heart is deceitful above all things. Maybe it was just me and I attribute it to God and he's on the hook now because I was like, well, I think I heard and therefore so why, huh? And Abraham has one of those moments in his life because it has been 10 years 10 years from now, I will be 54 years old. 10 years ago, I was 34 years old. 10 years is a long time. 10 years ago, Dave was one. 10 years ago, Sam was five. 10 years ago, we were just getting here. 10 years is a long time. It's been 10 years since God told Abram, go to the land, I will show you, I will make you a nation. I will bless you. You're going to have kids, lots and lots of kids. They're going to be more numerous than the dust of the earth. It's been 10 years. Guess what? No kid. When he got that promise, he was 75. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's going, okay, that sounds good. His wife was 65. She looked 35, but she was 65. He's now 85. Sarah's 75. Last I checked, they don't have prenatal care in the geriatric wards of most hospitals. And Abraham is thinking, uh, 
the biological clock is running. It was already about a quarter to midnight, and now we're five minutes to midnight. What is happening here? What about this promise you gave us, God? Why hasn't it happened? And there's a first D in this chapter. One of the first D's in the Bible. Abraham talks to God. Because all the times that God has spoken to him, Abraham was not recorded to have said anything. He just went and did it. This time, God comes and he speaks to Abraham and God talks back. Anybody in the talk back category? Here we see that when he speaks back to God, he voices some doubt. So let's see how God handles it when somebody voices doubt to him. Now, if you don't bring your Bible, shame on you. I mean, bring it because it's really valuable and it should be seen as a, like a textbook. Like if you think this is some holy book that you need to ah, and handle with gloves and all this stuff, get a new one that you can tear up and, and write in and, and just get down into it because it's more like a textbook and you need to be okay with writing in it or cramming notes in it or post-it notes or whatever you need to do. This is God's book to you for you to study and to learn how to do life in. Okay. Off the soapbox. Now, Genesis chapter 15, verse one. After this, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. I don't know how this works. Maybe he had his eyes open. Maybe he was riding on a camel. Uh, however it worked, he had a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. That's all that God said to him. Now, that seems like weird stuff for God to say, because if you were here last week and you saw what happened in Genesis chapter 14, Abram just beat up on all the kings in the world that are bad, big kings, the king of Iraq, the king of Iran, these city state kings. He just he came back to town, to the valley of the kings, remember, and he came walking in with all the stuff, the people, the goods, the golf clubs, the flat screen televisions, all the people. He's the baddest dude in the land. And this is what God says. Don't be afraid. It's a little confusing to me. Now, I think here's why God said, don't be afraid. Because if you just took out the baddest dudes in the land and now you're seen as the baddest dude, what happens to the baddest dude? Usually somebody's gunning for the baddest dude. And my guess is, uh, because this is before the UN and peace treaties and all that kind of stuff, my guess is the dudes went home and they decided, you know what? Somebody's got to go teach Abram a lesson. He only had 318 guys and he was so cowardice. He attacked us at night. I mean, if he had met us out on the field of battle in the middle of the day, we would have just crushed that guy. I bet we could take him. Let's go. And so I wouldn't be surprised. Abram's kind of like, like I had my greatest moment in life on a playground was uh, when this bully who had been calling me names, uh, I picked up an eraser and I threw it at him. And much like God caused David's stone to hit the giant in the forehead. I don't know if God had anything to do with it, but I hit the guy in the forehead with an eraser. And then I ran for my life. (laughs) And I didn't get a vision from God. Be, you know, brave and and I'll be your shield and reward. I was just like, ah, that 
that was stupid, but it was awesome. Look at that. Ah. The bell rang mercifully. I was faster than him. And then for days afterwards, I was going different routes on my way home. Because I was bad. I had hit him in the face with an eraser, but I was scared because I had hit him in the face with an eraser. I think Abraham had hit people in the face with an eraser. And now they're like, I'm going to get Abraham. So God comes to him and says, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. And Abram goes, reward. I like that word. Okay, God, remember what you said you're going to do for me. He says this, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And we all know Eleazar, you know, I mean, he's going to squander the whole thing. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Basically, Abram is saying, remember what you said 10 years ago? I mean, what kind of reward can you give me? That's what I want. That was the longing of my heart. That's why I listened to you in the first place. I still don't have it. Guess what? 10 years into it, Abraham, just this is a little jump ahead. This is like in case you don't show up in a few weeks. He still has to wait another 15 years. 25 years. Get that around your, you know. Anyways. So. Then the word of the Lord came to, a, to him. And it said, you punk, who are you to doubt? Oh, wait. Sorry. <laughs> That's the Bible according to Steve. This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. (laughs) Well, there's more than 50, right? I mean, you go out there and there's a lot of stars. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I love a God that shows up and reiterates what he says, but he doesn't, you know, ridicule you. He doesn't put you down. He doesn't say, oh, come on. Yeah, it's been 10 years, but don't you know, one day is like a thousand years to me and a single thousand years is like a day. I mean, come on, we're on my time frame. Come on, get with it, little punk. I mean, I'm so glad God doesn't show up like that into my life. I'm so glad in the Bible he doesn't show up and say, well, if you wouldn't doubt, Abraham, you'd get it. But since you're still a doubter, he meets him in his doubt. He tries to say, look, I'm going to do this. Trust me. I'm going to do this. Step out the tent. Look at the stars. I'm going to do this. And then what did Abraham do? Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This, my friends, is one of the most important verses in all of Genesis. This is a theme that the Apostle Paul will pick up on later in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians. This is a theme that will be picked up in the book of Hebrews. This is a theme of how we get right with God. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. And then something really, really weird happens. A total head scratcher happens. Uh, So it's like they decide to go find a notary. Okay, God, notarize this. I want this in writing. Now, in the ancient world, they did things differently because stone tablets were difficult to chisel into. And 
pens and paper were not invented yet. You couldn't just run down to Staples, you know. You couldn't get online and get to LegalZoom. You couldn't just get a little contract worked up. So they had their own way of writing up contracts. It had to do with animals and cutting them in half in blood. Huh? Well, let's read. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, No for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions you however will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Ammonites Amorites excuse me has not yet received, reached its full measure when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. <laughs> what? Let's close in prayer. <laughs> you see, in the ancient world, what they would do to cut a covenant, because that's what that word make a covenant means. It's actually from the Hebrew word for cut. And they would cut a covenant and they would literally cut animals in half and they would walk between them, both parties of it. I mean, could you imagine a marriage ceremony where you walk between these animals and uh, the idea of both partners in this covenant is basically saying, may it be to me what it is to these animals if I break this. May I be cut in half. May vultures come down and feast on me. May I die. May my guts be spilled out if I don't live up to this. Now, I do marriages for $100, and I also make people do that. No, I'm just kidding. I've thought about it. Death do us part, right? Did you see who walked the covenant, though? (laughs) A fire pot and a torch. (laughs) That's who walked the covenant. Abraham's sleeping. You see, the fire pot and the torch, most biblical scholars believe that that is a picture of God's presence walking the covenant. And Abram didn't walk the covenant. God didn't make him walk the covenant because he knew if he walked the covenant, bad stuff would happen to Abram. We'll get that in Genesis 16. But God himself said, I will make this covenant. This will happen no matter what. I will assure it. Watch me. And he takes this ancient Near Eastern way of cutting a covenant just to make sure that Abram knows. I mean, for us, it'd be, can I get that in writing? Can I get your signature on that? Can I get your fingerprint? Making sure this is a good to go thing. And doesn't that show a little bit of doubt? Doesn't that show doubt when we say, can I get this in writing? 
You know, I've lived in Array for 10 years, and, and many transactions are done without writing and without signatures, and there's kind of a handshake agreement, and some of you are realizing that's not good enough anymore, <laughs> even in good old Ray sometimes, that sometimes you need to have things written down. Sometimes you have to have somebody write something down. Sometimes, and even that seems to be not good enough, so maybe we need to go back to, hey, bring a cow and a goat and a ram and some birds, and let's cut these things up, and let's walk between them. I mean, maybe we need to go back to that. Show some doubt in the person's character. Abraham's showing doubt in God's character. But did you see what Genesis 15, 6 said? He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed, but he doubted. <laughs> you know, that's something I can do. I can do that. As one pastor I really have a lot of respect for said, when a mustard seed of faith meets a boatload of doubt, God shows up. Some of you need to write that down. When a mustard seed of faith meets a boatload of doubt, God shows up. Well, I don't think that's in the Bible. Okay, Uh, let's look at some examples. Doubting Thomas. The Bible says you're doubting Thomas, which it doesn't. But church history has since named him doubting Thomas. Thomas, for some reason, when Jesus showed up to the other 11, well, excuse me, 10 disciples, because Judas went and hung himself. When he showed up to those guys, we don't know why Thomas wasn't there. He just wasn't there. When Jesus shows up, all the other guys go, wow, he's really alive. He did raise from the dead. And Thomas wasn't there. And the other 10 go, hey, Thomas, it's true. It happened. It's awesome. You should believe it. And he's like, I ain't going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it until I touch him myself. You see, Tom was a scientist. He couldn't just take a blind leap of faith. He's like, unless I put my finger in the nail holes of his hands and my, my, my hand into his side, I will not believe. And what did Jesus do? Jesus stayed far away because pff, doubters don't deserve me to. No, Jesus showed up. Hey, Tom. Put your finger here. Hey, Tom, stick your hand in here. (laughs) Whoa. It's true. You see, I want to talk about four kinds of faith that Americans have gotten all jacked up. Because we have gotten away from the biblical understanding of what it means to have faith. We have. Faith has doubt in it. It's part of it. If you can't doubt, you can't have faith. You, you have a fact. Did anybody sit down in that chair and go, well, I think it might hold me. I'm not quite sure. I'm going to exercise faith. No, you, you've sat in that chair before. Most of you have sat in that chair before. I know. I'm here every week. And you and you and you, you guys are in the same chairs. Maybe you sit in the same chair because you're like, I know that one holds me. It's a fact. I don't have to exercise faith. That one time, way back when, I had to, but now it's a fact. I just sit there. You see, faith has to have some doubt. The first kind of faith that we get messed up, we think, is this. To have intellectual, intellectually believe something is true. We think that to have faith is to believe that something is true intellectually. And sometimes our Sunday school teachers get this all messed up for us when we're little kids. So we're not totally to blame for this. And if you're a Sunday school teacher, thank you for you. 
But John 3.16, one of the first verses kids come to, to memorize, and they memorize that verse, and if we all say it together, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have and that's where we get this idea if i intellectually assent to some facts about jesus then i'm saved but then we read in james chapter 2 where james says even satan believes in god even demons believe in god and shudder it's kind of like james is going you don't even bother to shudder they shudder question do you think do you think satan believes that jesus is god's only son okay it's not trick thank you tim Uh, do you believe that satan believes do you think satan believes that jesus died on the cross for people's sins do you think satan believes that jesus rose from the dead do you think satan believes that if you put your faith in jesus you go to heaven do you think satan's going to be living next door to you in heaven but he has intellectually ascended to those things. In fact, he knows them better than you. You see, many times we think faith is about believing things intellectually. But faith is about obedience. Faith is about, I'm not quite sure this is going to work out, but I'm going to take a step anyways. Because that's something Satan won't do. Yeah, I believe. In fact, I know that stuff, but... It's not going to change my life, none. I'm Satan. I'm going to do my Satan thing, (laughs) right? It's October after all. (laughs) Number two, the kind of faith that a lot of people get confused with biblical faith is taking a wild risk and assuming God will rescue them. (laughs) Some guys do this a lot. Hey, hold my beer and watch this, right? (laughs) That's how guys exercise that kind of faith or stupidity. There's 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 a line there. Sometimes it's, honey, we got to take all the money. We got to put it into this because a guy told me. And, and we, it's just the best thing we could possibly do. Are you sure about that? Hey, I'm just exercising faith. It's what God said or it's what this guy told me. It's just the right thing to do. And, and I've even been to preacher conferences where they tell me and I get all bad and feeling oh, I'm horrible. I don't do this right. And they say, if you're not trusting God to the extent so radically that if God doesn't show up, you're just going to utterly fail then you're not having faith. And I'm like, I don't see that in the Bible. I see that on Oprah sometimes. But I don't see that in the Bible. You see, what I see in the Bible is is people having radical faith and obeying God when God told them to do stuff. Not going, hey God, catch me. (laughs) I think it'll work. I'm not quite sure, but you better get there and Help me out. In fact, Jesus was tempted in this way because Satan said, hey, it says in the Bible that if, he will not let you even stub your toe. So why don't you jump off this temple and God will catch you? And Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. That's not faith. It's not faith to put God to the test to try to see, oh, is he going to show up? What is he going to do to have faith is to obey God, to do what God has told you to do. The third type of faith, being so optimistic that I have no doubts. Now, it's definitely better in life to be optimistic than pessimistic. Who would you rather be around? Optimistic people or pessimistic people? 
Hey, somebody poured me a half a glass of water. Hey, who drank half the water? Who would you rather be married to? Just wondering. So optimism is not the problem. But there is a heresy. Yes, I said it, called it that. There is a heresy in the church today. It's even preached near here. That says you have to believe and you got to get rid of all of the doubts. And if you have any sort of negative confession, God won't do it. You have to think positive thoughts. You have to have positive prayers and positive confession. And you can't have any doubt. And if you doubt, then God's not going to do it. And so you've got to have total, utter faith that God's going to do it. So keep trying harder. And that's why so-and-so died. And that's why so-and-so's not healthy. And that's why so-and-so, because they just doubt. And what? It's not in the Bible. Exact diff- the exact opposite is in the Bible. In Acts, there was this story where Peter was arrested. They had just executed James, the pillar of the church in Jerusalem. Getting a little serious. Peter is in jail. What do the Christians do? Let's have a prayer meeting. Let's pray that God will release Peter because we believe that God will do it. So they get together. They're in a prayer meeting. They're praying. Oh, God. We are agreeing together. It doesn't tell us what the prayer was because probably because we are wired up that we want to have magic words. Because if we saw the prayer in there, we'd be like, oh, this is the way you get people out of prison. Oh, this is the way you get people healed. And so God spares us that because he knows we're kind of dumb. And just as they're praying, you know what happens when they're praying? (laughs) Peter's let out of jail. He walks to the house that they're meeting in. He knocks on the door. A servant girl named Rhoda. If you get your name in the Bible, that is so cool. Rhoda is in the Bible. I don't know why. She's just in the Bible. Rhoda goes to the door, answers the door. Ah, it's Peter. Closes the door on Peter. Runs back to the people praying. Hey, Peter's here. They're like, that is impossible. Peter is in jail. Can't you see we're praying here for Peter to be released from jail? Quit bugging us. No, I'm telling you, it's Peter. It must be his ghost. <laughs> it's in there. They actually say that. It must be his ghost. What? That's a doubting prayer meeting. <laughs> right? I'd be like, you know, you're praying for a crippled person. And then at the meeting, they stand up and start walking around. You're like, ah, sit down. That can't happen. <laughs> We're praying for you to walk around. What on earth is happening here? I mean, this is like the definition of doubt. And God met their mustard seed of faith and their boatload of doubt. And he showed up. Some of you have been exposed to some really bad teaching. And I'm so sorry. Now you're being exposed to the word of God. And the word of God says you can doubt in your faith. You can. In fact, that's the kind of faith that God honors when we trust God enough to do what he says. That's the faith that God wants us to have when we trust God enough to do what he says. The book of Hebrews has a great definition of of faith. And this one kind of helps us with some doubts. Because there are doubts we can have where God doesn't show up. Some of you know atheists. Or maybe some agnostics. And they say, well, if God just gave me a sign, I'd believe. But by definition, they don't believe in God. 
And so there's this doubt that writes God off. And God doesn't show up when doubt writes him off. In fact, Hebrews tells us this. Bailey, if you could show the Hebrews verse. Maybe I didn't put it up there. Anyway, so Hebrews tells us that to have faith in God means that you believe that God exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. Now you can doubt. But you got to have a little mustard faith and belief that God exists. And by definition, atheists and agnostics don't have that mustard seed of faith. And so God doesn't show up for them. He's not on the hook. You don't have to prove anything to you or nobody else. And when they doubt, when you and I doubt in a way that writes God off, he doesn't show up. Another kind of doubt is when we doubt and it leads to our disobedience. God doesn't show up in that. When we doubt so much, oh, God doesn't care about me, so I'm going to take care of things myself. Oh, God's not going to provide, so I'm going to make it happen. Oh, God's not going to... And so we go about making sure things happen. In fact, we're going to see the consequences that play out to this very day in Genesis 16 next week when doubt led to disobedience. You see, the kind of doubt that we can have that God honors is the doubt that worries but still obeys. I don't know if he's got me. I don't know if this is going to work, but he said, so I'm going to. And quite honestly, if you've been coming to church here for a while, you, you understand that one of the things we're up against and we're trying to wrestle through and try to figure out is what to do with the church that's growing. Because it's a problem. So half of you can take Sunday off next week. Oh, wait, that's not what I meant to say. Growth leads to problems. It leads to a full parking lot. Oh, wait, not having a parking lot leads to other problems. Uh, it leads to a full street of cars. Not having enough places for people to sit. I read an article this week that it said if you are 70% full in your church, you are turning away people. You're turning away people when you're 70% full. Guess what? We're 70% full. If you show up late, in fact, a couple Sundays ago when people showed up late, families had to sit apart from each other because they got angry at each other on the way here. No. <laughs> because there wasn't enough seating in the back <laughs> for them to sit together. So they had to, oh, there's three over there and there's two there. All right, we'll see after the church service. You know, and nobody wants to sit up here because I spit on people. So <laughs> you got to start the front row somewhere. I got to say, I, I have doubts. I have concerns. I have worry. I don't know if this thing's going to work. This seems crazy. But so far, with the little nuggets of revelation that God has seemed to sort of send my way, and not just my way, the church leadership's way, we're trying to, to be obedient and step out. That's just one corporate way this works out in our life. You know, there's all sorts of ways it can work out for you in your individual life. Where God is calling you to do something. He's asking you to have faith in him and believe and to trust. 
And he leaves it in your court. And he says, you're going you're gonna to take that first step? Are you going to really step out and in spite of your doubts and your worries and your concerns? Are you really going to? You going to try it? Or are you going to doubt it? You know, if you've got a mustard seed of faith and a boatload of doubt, God's about to show up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Abraham is so human. We thank you that you took a hero of the faith and instead of treating him with kid gloves and making him look better than he really is, you exposed him for who he is and what he was at one point. And we thank you that we, in our faith, though we sometimes struggle with a lot of doubts, that if we have faith as small as a seed of mustard, you show up. Lord, I pray for those who have received difficult news and they're in trying times and they don't know what to do and how to move forward. Help them in their faith. Give them the gift of faith. Even just a wee little bit. Father, I do pray that we would be people who are faithful. That we understand that uh, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is not to believe certain things about Jesus, though that's important. But it's people that are obedient and follow Jesus. And I pray we would follow you. And follow close and follow well. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you obey God in spite of your doubts. Amen.